Well, good morning. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. Uh, good to be with you here this morning to worship our good and gracious God. Uh, before we begin, I uh, just want to let you know about a few things going on in the life of our church. Uh, you may notice in the back of your order there is uh, going to be another uh, cookout. That's August 10th. It's Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. We're going to meet at the Shepherd's home this time, and it's a great time to, to both fellowship and get to know one another and also have some really good food, too. So please come to that. Um, also, I want to invite Chris up to uh, give an announcement from the elders. Good morning, everyone. Um, as Brian mentioned, I'd like to take just a minute to let you know about our recently launched welcome and worship fundraising campaign. Uh, if you were at our last congregational meeting, you may remember us talking a little bit about our budget situation for this year uh, and the fact that we are expecting to run a budget deficit uh, due largely to uh, some of the complications with COVID um, and some of those additional expenses, but primarily due to the fact that over these last couple of years, we have had uh, many from our LSPC uh, community move on from Lincoln Square and even Chicago um, and are no longer worshiping with us. So this has, has led to a, uh, a budget deficit so far this year. Um, and one of the ideas that we talked about during the congregational meeting was the possibility of uh, potentially launching a fundraising campaign aimed at covering the rent for our worship space and office space for um, the next couple of years. And this is something that we have decided to move forward with. Um, we, we've recently launched this campaign with the goal of raising uh, $90,000 to cover uh, the rent for our office space, our community space, and our worship space for the next two years. So we have a, a, a web page that's live right now. Um, the link to that is shown in the order of worship, and uh, you can also find it from our homepage. And on there, you can find more details about the campaign, uh, ways to give, and over these next couple of weeks, uh, several of us from the session will be reaching out to many of our uh, alumni and friends of LSPC, people who have supported LSPC in the, uh, in the past, um, to invite them to participate in uh, the work of our, of our church. Um, so if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to reach out to me or Will Atkins or any one of the elders. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, like you said, there's a, a section in the back of the order that give you a little write-up about that vision, but also you can check online as well. Uh, lastly, I just want to, uh, uh, to uh, let you know uh, that we're grateful that uh, Dr. Andy Abernathy is with us. He's a professor of Old Testament at Wheaton College. Um, he's a dear friend of our church, uh, both he and Katie and their family. Uh, worshiped with us for a while, and uh, they are now in Wheaton, of course, but um, it's always good to have him come back. Um, beyond just giving you his resume, I, I really do want you to know uh, that Andy is a really kind and gentle and wise man, so we're really glad to have him come to share God's word with us this morning, so thank you, Andy, for that. Um, well, as we turn now to our time of worship, let's just take a moment of pause just to prepare our hearts as we begin.
Good morning. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 20. Will you stand and we'll all sing it together. We will not trust in anything except the name of the Lord. We will not trust in May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of our Jacob protect you. May he send you help from his sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all of your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. We will not trust in that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. We will not trust in
Almighty God, King of kings, faithful and true. Father, you delivered us from sin and death to be your covenant people and to worship you. And we come and worship this morning as we always do through the, the self-giving and the gracious invitation of your son. And Lord, make us aware, make us aware, Father, of your abiding presence this morning. Meet us in whatever ways we find ourselves along this path this morning, Lord. Meet us, those of us who feel full and vibrant. May we persist in the strength that you provide. And may you, Lord, continue to use our resources, our gifts, even our weaknesses to, to participate in your kingdom work. Father, we pray that you would also meet those of us who may be wrestling with questions of faith, Meet those of us who are troubled with grief and sadness. Meet those of us who endure the ways our relationships can be shaken, need of repair and restoration. Meet those of us who are worn down, who are lonely, those of us who are filled with worry. Father, meet us in these full places and in these difficult experiences with your strength, with your love and gentleness, with your words of invitation, calling us home to find our rest in you. Lord, meet us in these places, we pray, with your wonderful surprise and grace, full of rest and life. Pray all this in the name of Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship. Actually, it's going to be Pastor Eric in the back today to greet them. Well, we, uh, we turn now to our time of confession and assurance, a time where we acknowledge with God both our, our sin and our need of him. And we'll do this together as, uh, as, uh, as a church and then have a time of personal, quiet confession. O oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. O oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My strength fails me. 
and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. take a moment of quiet personal confession. confess our sin, knowing that, that Jesus, who was hated, who was rejected, who was persecuted, who suffered, so that, we alone, so that in him alone we might become welcomed children, sons and daughters of you, God. So we give thanks for his rich mercy and grace. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand together to hear the words of assurance from Matthew chapter 5. Let's join together. 
Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Well, as we've been welcomed into God's family, let us also welcome each other in the name of Christ. Good morning. 
Our New Testament reading is from Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Our gospel reading is from Matthew 26, verses 47 through 56. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, this one, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. This is the word of the Lord. All right, I need a little taller microphone here. Jody says I need to have it really close to my mouth, too, so... All right, so my name's Andy Abernethy, and my family and I have been friends of Lincoln Square ever since it was launched, and I'm happy to be filling in for Chad uh, this morning after much, uh, for a much-deserved sabbatical. Um, I've been preaching here probably for, I don't know, eight years <laughs> on occasion, um, but yeah, the public anxiety thing still is there. <laughs> so I'm really glad to be with you all and uh, trust God's going to minister to you uh, this morning. So um, we'll be looking at Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 31. 
Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. For thus says the Lord to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he's not terrified by their shouting or daunted by, at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day, everyone will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. And the Assyrian shall fall by a sword, not a man. And a sword, not a man, shall devour him. And he shall flee from the sword, and his young man, men shall be put to forced labor. His rock shall pass away in terror, and his officers desert the standard in panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, we come to you through your son this morning. We all come from very different places. Some of us are feeling close to you, others far away. Some are joyful and others of us are sorrowful. Some are cherishing the relationship with you and others feel numb. I pray as only you can, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you meet us all exactly where we're at through your word. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so when COVID-19 hit, um, I found myself wondering, okay, is this gonna be the time where across the globe we're gonna see tons of people turning to the Lord? I even wondered in my own heart, would this be a time where like all of a sudden I'd just be casting myself on the Lord and just depending on him and drawing closer to God than ever? You know, you're in the midst of a crisis. But I actually found just the opposite to be taking place. Instead of looking vertically in this crisis, I was very much looking horizontally. I would look at the news. Okay, what's the latest stats and figures? What are the CDC guidelines? What is Dr. Fauci saying? Or, or I'd look to social media for insight into how I can um, keep my life as normal as possible. How can I work out at home right now? How can I make sure we have toilet paper, right? How, how can we be sure to get groceries? And how do we do this homeschooling thing with our kids? And what's Zoom, right? Remember those days? Um, and of course, what should I watch on Netflix? Um, it was an important thing I needed to figure out. And I think there's a sense that outside of Eden, our automatic response during crisis isn't to look vertical to God, 
but I think often we look horizontal and kind of try to navigate through our own resources how to make it through. And as a result of just looking only to our own resources, there's this turmoil that sets in and we feel completely overwhelmed. We feel like a boat in the midst of a hurricane. And in fact, we're not all that different than the people of Judah during Isaiah's time. It was the eighth century BC and they had their own crisis in front of them. The biggest empire in the world, Assyria, was on its way, marching, and when you lost to Assyria, like, you really lost. <laughs> You'd get starved behind the walls, you could be tortured, you could be killed, and if you survived, you were taken into a whole another part of the world to live. And by this time, Assyria has brought great disaster to the northern part of Israel. Israel would have been taken into exile around 722 BC. And now, about 15 years later, Sennacherib is campaigning. He's leading an army of 185,000 troops. You're just this little nation of Judah. And you'd think, now's the time when the people of God are going to turn to him. Look at this crisis, but no. Just like us, they turn to human resources rather than to God. And this is when the prophet Isaiah steps in. The prophet Isaiah steps in and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. There is a different way during times of crisis. There is a way of casting yourself completely upon God for help. And so that's what we'll be seeing today in Isaiah 31. If you want to read along in your uh, bulletin uh, as we go through the passage, uh, what we're going to see is that when we become those who look to God for help, what we can find is an incredible security in knowing that we have a God who fights for us. Okay, so as we look at this passage, we'll begin by thinking more generally about how God is calling for us to look to God for help. And then after we get that sense of this general call of, of God calling us to look to him for help, we'll, we'll look at two different aspects of what looking to God for help involves. So first, thinking about looking to God for help. Look at uh, the end of verse 1 with me. Amidst all these other things that they're looking to God for, or looking uh, to, not looking to God for, um, we're told this. They're not looking to the Holy One of Israel or seeking him from help, for, from him help. They have all these other resources they're resorting to in this crisis, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel. Now, the Holy One of Israel is the one in Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. Another king had died at the time, but there was a king ruling over the world, the Lord seated on the throne. And he's so big that just the hem of his robe would fill the whole temple. And the seraphim are hovering around this holy one and singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
This Holy One is the one who heaven is his throne and the earth of his footstool. This vast, amazing, transcendent God is one who's pledged himself to be with Israel. He is the Holy One of Israel. But during this time of crisis, they aren't looking to him and they are not consulting him. So the prophet we see in verse 6 makes an appeal to them. He says, so return, you Israelites, to the Lord. Return. Now, now you could be wondering, okay, they haven't been turning to God up to this point. Would he, in fact, want them to turn to him? And this becomes so clear when the prophet says, return to the one whom people have deeply revolted against. This is a God who wants people who have been estranged from him to return to him and to cry out to him and to look to him for help. Now, we kind of get this at a horizontal level, this need to look to others for help. We know it intuitively, but outside of Eden, it's not vertical. I mean, think about a child, how naturally they know a need to cry out for their mother or father. Uh, about two months ago almost now, I was at a um, party with, with Katie and our family. It was a baptismal party. And kids were in the backyard playing on the trampoline. I was in the front uh, patio with some adults. And all of a sudden, I hear the loudest cry. You can Im imagine hearing a kid crying. And immediately, I knew that cry was my daughter Bethany's. I just knew it. And so I run back there, and there's my daughter. She'd broken her ankle, crying out. And as I got closer, her pain did not change at all. But the volume of her cry got lower. You see, she was crying out loud because she knew she needed someone who cared for her, someone like her mother or me to come to her and to help her. She was naturally crying out. And how much does our God want that from us? That when we're facing crises, that we would become those who look to, who turn to the Holy One of Israel and cry out to him, right? And so the question I, I want to ask now, as we look at this call from the prophet to turn to the Lord, to hear God's voice saying, look to me for help, is what does this look like? Two aspects, two aspects of what this involves. For note takers, I'll give you two little um, words. All right, the first aspect relates to misplaced trust. And the second aspect relates to rightly placed trust. So by misplaced trust, what we'll see is that looking to God for help involves not misplacing our trust only in where our own resources can get us. It, it calls us to not trust simply in our own resources. By rightly placed trust, it means trusting that our God will fight for us. So let's look at that first aspect of what looking to God for help involves. It, it involves not trusting simply in our own resources. Look at the start of verse 1. 
It says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of chariots and in their great, the great strength of their horsemen. Now look at this. This is common sense strategy. If you're a small, tiny nation, Judah, and you have the biggest empire in the world coming against you, what are you going to do? Hey, let's see if Egypt can have our back, right? Let's see if they can build up our chariots and horsemen and horses. Let's see if we can mount a stand where we can resist the forces of Assyria. Now, this is common sense strategy. So what is the problem? The problem is that they are not involving God. They are not looking to God in the process. And as a result, here's what God's word is for them. God says, oh yeah, you want to tr lean on not God? I'm going to show you where that will get you. Look at verse 2. It says, he too is wise and brings disaster. That's God. God can bring disaster. God could face these Assyrians. He doesn't take back his words, and he'll rise up against the wicked nation, against those who help evildoers. But the Egyptians are mere humans. They're humans, not God. And their horses are flesh, not spirit. He's saying, I'm going to show you, if you want to go to Egypt, you're going to figure out that they are humans and not God. And so the Lord stretches out his hand, it says, and those who help, namely Egypt, will stumble, and those who are helped will fall, namely Judah. All will perish together. There's an image in the prophet where, imagine a reed that is growing up, and they say, leaning on Egypt is like leaning on a reed. You lean against it, and eventually that reed is going to break, and that reed not only will break, but it's also going to pierce you too. And so what God is kind of calling his people towards is to see, hey, look, I am calling on you to live in a way that's going to push you beyond your own resources. I'm going to lead you in a way where, where I want you to look beyond where your own intellect, where your own resources can get you. And I want to be the source of your trust. Now, the Bible's full of examples like this, where God is pushing his people beyond their own resources. Think about e Israel when they come out of Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt, and then all of a sudden they're penned in by the Sea of Reeds. And they're like, God just brought us out of Egypt so that we could die here in the wilderness. And then Moses turns to the Lord, and God tells Moses to do something that doesn't make very much sense intellectually. If you're going to mount a, 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 an opportunity to get, get out of Egypt with them chasing you, the strategy usually isn't just stretch out your staff, Moses. What? He stretches the staff out and God parts the sea. Or imagine how Peter is pushed beyond his own resources. He's left everything to follow Jesus. And he had a very clear idea in his own mind, where his own mind could get him, about what the Messiah should do. The Messiah needs to come in and overthrow Roman rule from Jerusalem. So when Jesus says to him, I'm going to go suffer and die, Peter's like, no, you're not. Peter 
wanted to stay locked in where his mind could get him. Or when Jesus was arrested, as we, we read, what does Peter do? Let me bring out this sword. That seems to make sense. Now, the idea here, it's not necessarily that God won't work through means or our rationality. But at the heart of discipleship is this call to be willing to say, as I look to you, O God, as I look to you, I'm willing for you to lead me in a way that pushes me beyond where my own resources, my own intellect can get me. Let me give you an example of this from a, a man named Charles Smith, okay? When I was on staff at uh, a church, I met Charles Smith, he was about 80 years old. Now his whole life uh, from very early on has been devoted to global missions. God put it on his heart that he wanted people to know about Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so he devoted his years to becoming a medical, a medical missionary doctor. But here's the problem. After finishing his medical degree, not a single missions agency would send him out. The reason why? He had tuberculosis. So he's at this crisis point like, what in the world do you want from me, God? And here was what God led him to do. God's like, all right, Charles, I want you to be a doctor in Indiana. Okay, not as flashy as India or something like that. And I want you to give 80% of your income to global missions. And decade after decade, Charles Smith gave 80% of his income to support global missions and in fact, when he would experience his own financial difficulties and missionaries would hear about it, they'd send many money back to him to support him. And this, to me, is an example of this sort of life that says, okay, I face these crises. God, what do you have? I'm going to look to you. Even if things aren't fully comporting with what, where human logic might get me, or where my own resources might get me, I'm gonna to look to you. And that's what I hope I, you hear God saying to you this morning. Saying, okay, I wanna be involved with you. I wanna be involved in this crisis. You, you've been leaning just on how your own resources can help you navigate this. I wanna be involved in this. I wanna lead you in a brilliance that is far beyond your own. Maybe as you parent your kids, as you navigate life as a single, or, or as you struggle in your marriage, or as you face different health difficulties, mental health difficulties, as you have a difficult work environment, as you face str struggles as a church, what God's saying is, don't just resort to your own resources like going down to Egypt. Don't lean on where your own intellect and resources seem to get you. And this, of course, is pushing us into the heart of the gospel. A gospel that says, here's something beyond your own reasoning. Here's something that you can't bring to the table. Where's our help found in the gospel? It's not found in us saying, hey, look, God, look at how great of a week I've had. Look, God, at my own righteous deeds. Or our help isn't found simply in the latest 
podcast or pastor guru. Our help isn't even found in adapting the secular mindset of, I just need to become more authentically me, or I need to learn to just do you. No, the gospel points us to where our help is found. It is not found in what we bring, but instead it's found in a triune God whose mission was for the Father to send his Son to provide a way for prodigals like all of us to return to him. And the way that he made that happen was considered foolishness by the Greeks. It was considered powerless by the Jews. It was a cross that was a bloody spectacle to the world, but was the way that the triune God was saying, I love you. I'm here to save you. Turn to me and trust me and look to me. So looking to God involves living in a way where we're pushed beyond where resources would get us. Then final point, what is involved in looking not to our own, or looking uh, to God, it's where we rightly place our trust. We place our trust in the God who fights for us. Look at verse 4. It says, as a lion growls, a great lion over its prey, and though a whole band of shepherds is called together against it, and it's not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor, so the Lord Almighty will come down to do battle on Mount Zion and on its heights. The image here is of God like a lion. He's found its, his prey. No shepherd or anything is going to detract his focus on getting that prey. That is how God is. And he's come down to fight on Mount Zion. And the question is, has he come to fight down on Mount Zion, meaning he's come down to fight against his own people? Has he come like a lion to fight people who aren't turning to him, who've revolted against him? What we see in the next image is no. This God who comes like a lion to fight on Zion has come like a bird as well, hovering, protecting, delivering, shielding his people, Jerusalem. This is an image of God saying, I am going to come and save. I will fight for you. Look at verse 8. It says, Assyria will fall by no human sword, a sword not of mortals shall devour them. God is saying, I'm going to do something crazy. You think that all this planning with Egypt is going to get you there. But no, I am going to come and fight these Assyrians. And in fact, we see just that in Isaiah 36 to 37. Hezekiah the king must have heard Isaiah's word and has turned to the Lord when 185,000 Assyrian troops surround Jerusalem. And he turns to the Lord, and the word the Lord gives him is this. In Isaiah 37, verse 35, he says, I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. And here's what happens. Very next verse. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. The greatest foe they could envision at the time was at their doorstep and God comes into history and defeats it. And this, of course, is a pointer 
to how our God has come to fight a foe that none of us could defeat. Satan, sin, death, foes that we ourselves could never defeat. The Lord comes and stares right in the face, dies on the cross, and defeats those for us. If you've never come to see that our God has fought for you at the cross. What a wonderful day that would be today as you take the blood and the body to see our God has fought for me. Our God has fought. I am secure. I am loved. And as believers, we need to live into this and be reminded of this over and over But I also wonder, are there other things in your life where you need God to fight for you? I found myself over the last weeks just simply beginning to pray, God, I need you to fight this for me. I need you to fight for this. Maybe you have a friend or a child that you're like, God, I need you to fight that battle. Maybe there's a sin in your own heart, in your life. You're like, God, I need you to fight that for me. And so this call from Isaiah 31 is a call to look to the Lord, to look to the Lord. And when we do, we don't misplace our trust simply in where our own resources can get us, but we look to the God who fights for us. So in closing, I invite you, if you want to close your eyes, um, to do business with God for a moment. I wonder if you hear God saying, you've been going down to Egypt. You've been just leaning on your own resources, your own wealth, your own intellect, your own grit. You haven't been looking to me. Do you hear God saying, I want to be involved with you. I want you to turn to me, the Holy One of Israel. And do you hear God also saying to you, I want to fight for you. I want you to know deep in the core of your heart that I have fought for you and overcome sin and death and the evil one and I'll come again. There are areas where you are saying, God, I need you to fight for me here. I need you to protect me like that bird. I need you to fight for me like that lion. We lift these things to you, our God of grace, our God of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with us and we'll sing together. Be still, my soul, the Lord. 
Lord God, you are a refuge. There is no good apart from you, and the sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Therefore, we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, the unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, Well, when we come to the end of our resources, there can be uh, an emptiness. There can raise in us an anxiety, a, a fear. There can even be some anger, some pain. It can feel as though maybe even we're in the wilderness, traveling in a, in a dry land, wondering what, how am I, I going to get 
the next thing? How am I going to survive this dark and harsh world that we're living in? And I think this table, it, it brings us up against that. It, it confronts those very real needs. And it challenges and it begins to speak out. And it begins to offer something quite different, quite beautiful. That God, the bread of life, has come down from heaven to give you manna, to give you the thing that will nourish you, that will help you through those dark seasons. And it's not something that we have to do in and of ourselves. It's not something that we have to shoulder and to take on and to, to find the resources amongst ourselves. But the good thing, and as Andy reminded, that God fights for us. And not only that, that the battle that he fights Yes, it's for our needs, but it's for our salvation. It's for our redemption. And here's the thing. He gives and he offers the thing that no person, no person can mount any defense against. He gives his very life for you and for me. And that's the good news. And that's the thing that he invites us to come and to take in. And so if you believe that this morning, if you have put your faith in Christ, come and take the bread and the cup. Be nourished in your faith. Father, thank you for this table. We pray that you would set it apart from common use to a sacred and holy one, that you would come and by your spirit meet us and nourish us in our faith through this bread and wine. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we, we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Well, I want to invite those who are serving to come forward, to come to the rail here. Uh, and as they're doing that, I just want to remind you that, uh, that we'll come down the center aisle. We'll take both the bread and the cup. We'll return uh, on the sides to our seats that way and hold the elements. That way we can all eat and, f and drink as one church. Let's come now.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Well, let's stand now for our prayer as we respond to this table that God set for us. Lord Jesus Christ, you have made known to us the loving kindness of God and that we are saved not because of our righteous works, but according to his mercy. With thankfulness, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. say together our faith together in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as the, uh, the ushers come forward, we, we do, uh, uh, I want to just take a moment just to, to remind folks that after the service, we will have a time of fellowship over at uh, McPherson, uh, where, where we typically do. Um, that's, there's instructions here in the back of the order. It's just a couple blocks away from us, the playground. So please join us for that. Also, just a reminder again, um, there's the announcement that Chris gave at the, the beginning about some of the needs and the, the vision that we have for uh, things in our church uh, moving forward with a community space fund. So feel free to consider that as you um, both bring your offering today uh, as well. Well, as we have experienced the generosity and the grace of God, let us now uh, continue our worship through the giving of our gifts and offerings to him.
Will you please stand and join us for the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son. 
Receive now God's blessing. May the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you.